0: This is Just the Right Book, and I'm Roxanne Cody of R.J. Julia Booksellers. Each week, I hope to bring to you the stories behind the books, talking with some of the very best contemporary nonfiction authors, books that are timeless and charming, provocative and of the moment, the conversations you want to hear about the books you need to read. Welcome to Just the Right Book Shorts. I'm here again with Bill Goldstein to talk about books, that are catching our attention this week in the third episode of Just the Right Book Shorts. Just to remind you, this is my podcast experiment of a shorter show in between our regular podcast that posts every other week. Bill and I will discuss what we're reading, the bestseller list, and what's new on the horizon a big thank you to our listeners. thank you for your all your positive feedback. Remember to chime in by emailing us at podcast at rjjulia.com. We love hearing from you and Bill welcome to just the right book shorts.
1: Hello Roxanne. thank you. I'm, I'm glad we're up to three now. I mean I, yeah it I, I like feels to-
0: like uh like we're uh in this for the long term.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. Right? My favorite coffee clutch. Do people still use that <laughs> that phrase? I'm not no, sure that they do. they but, don't. Okay. <laughs>
0: they don't. What does clutch even mean?
1: <laughs> I'm not sure. You know, uh, I think I've said before, I grew up in Brooklyn. That was a phrase we used, but I don't think anybody ever asked what it meant. We just sort of assumed that it meant our mother's we're getting together with other people um, and doing something adult that they could do in the kitchen. Not that it was anything off limits to us. but So Bill, that's
0: the difference between you and me. I was on the Lower East Side. We called that kibitzing. Oh, <laughs> Kibitz, <yes. laughs> we didn't call it a coffee clutch. <laughs> All right.
1: So what are you reading? Oh, I want, I'm so excited to talk about the new novel by Kathleen Schein, Kunstler's In Paradise, which is coming out this month. And she is the author of so many wonderful social comedies that really have some important social issues at their heart as well. Her book that I love is The Three Weissmans of Westport. I don't know whether that's sold well as far east as Madison, Connecticut, but it is just brilliant, as her her other books, Finn and Lady, They May Not Mean To, but they do. And her last book was called The Grammarians. And what she is so brilliant at, this novel is about a much older woman, a, a woman named Mamie Kunstler, who is living in California. She and her family escaped Nazi Germany, Vienna, in 1939, just as the war was beginning and at the last possible minute. And so she has lived in the United States since then and had an extremely interesting life, which we learn about because her grandson comes to live with her. I mean, and he has his own complications. Julian has his own complications about why he's going there. Uh, He's in his 20s. And he gets there just before the pandemic, so then they're stuck together. Mm. Uh, and what she ends up doing is telling him many stories, not so much of her life, but from her life. And then he pieces together, or we piece together, what her life has been, including living in Hollywood at the height of Hollywood's golden age and her place in the emigre community. So, I mean, Greta Garbo appears, stories about people like that. And what Kathleen Schein is just brilliant at, and she does it in this book, just what I've described, as in her other books, The Three Weissmans of Westport, for example, are about three generations of the Weissman women. And she has a great ability to show the shifts in sort of personality of the generations, but to have the conflicts and the camaraderie of these these separate generations somehow she just makes magic of how she brings uh these colliding generations together uh the way her plots begin and the way they unfold so there's just so much heart and just every page uh just has brilliant dialogue or some brilliant phrase and it's it's brief it's about 250 pages and it's just pure pleasure and yet not a guilty pleasure because there's always something meaningful going Mm -hmm. on
0: So just so you know, Kathleen is beloved at R.J. Joya's in Madison. Oh, thank Uh, God. She has done events for her people. Our readers absolutely love her books. And the other thing that this is reminding me of, you know, we've heard a number of stories where grandparents ended up quarantining with their grandparents. The other thing I like about the sound of this book is often as I hear from friends grandchildren are more interested in their life stories than their children. Right. That the grandchildren have more curiosity than the kids do, whether the kids were too close to it or not. So it sounds like a fun way to think about that relationship that we've seen more of, not just because of quarantining, but in general.
1: Well, my nieces and nephews, I mean, who are now you know adults, I mean, were... I don't know that they were more interested in my mother's stories than than I was, but they certainly were curious about our family history in ways I was not.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I am reading, I had never read Octavia Butler. And, you know, there's been a lot in the press about her. There's a new series that's, I think, streaming now. Yes. So I picked up Kindred, and Kindred, so for those who don't know, Octavia Butler is a Black woman who is deceased, but wrote science fiction early. And this book is science fiction. Dana, who's a, a contemporary Black woman, ends up sort of disappearing from her house and ends up in the time of slavery, in the South. So she goes back and forth between those two times and seeing the intersection of a contemporary black woman assessing and learning about slavery in such a firsthand way is fascinating. And what I liked about it was that you, you start to believe that this can happen. And Octavia Butler has a sly wit about her. So the commentary has that wit interspersed in the story. So it's called Kindred by Octavia Butler. Have you ever read her, Bill?
1: Yes, I have. During the pandemic. I mean, at some point, I think it was in early 2021, the Library of America reissued several of her works in one volume. And I had always wanted to read Kindred. I had heard about it and had never read it. And so I used that opportunity to read it. And I was not only blown away by it. I mean, I, I, it was published at some point in the 70s. And I never liked to think that any writer couldn't just be sort of sweet generous i mean that you know that someone needs an earlier writer to have written in order for that writer to become themselves but i read this and i thought okay well i can see where a book like the underground railroad by colson whitehead comes from i could see where beloved right. comes from not that they are shaped by octavia butler but you know someone who pushes boundaries does make it possible for other writers' imaginations to soar beyond that point. And, and so it was a beautiful and shattering book on its own terms. And then I also was reading it as sort of a progenitor, a predecessor to so many books that I had read and loved and didn't know had been in some way influenced or possibly shaped by. And mm-hmm. and so it it was meaningful to me in that way, too.
0: Yeah, I'm really loving the book. And it's, it's nice to meet
1: Octavia Butler. Okay, the bestseller. So the bestseller that I am eager to read is something that I've had on my shelf. When we did an earlier episode, we talked about the book that you had read three years ago, The Silent Patient by Alex Michelides. And a similar bestseller of long-standing fame that I've not read is The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by... Mm. Taylor Jenkins Reed. And I've been watching Daisy Jones and the Six lately. I have not read that book, but I've been very curious about this because it's about old Hollywood. I mean, I guess that's my theme today since I just mentioned Kunstlers in Paradise and Greta Garbo. But this is based somewhat on the life of Ava Gardner or Lana Turner or perhaps both of them. And so it's been on my shelf for a long time. And I figured since uh, I'm doing Taylor Jenkins read in one medium, I would do her read her in her original medium and read a different book. Great so bestseller. She
0: was at the store. Oh, but I still haven't read any of her books. So I'm going to wait for a report.
1: It's been something like 150 weeks on the New yeah, York Times bestseller. I know.
0: It's crazy. So as we talk about the bestseller list, I know how the New York Times puts together its bestseller list because where RJ Joy is a reporting store, meaning we upload our sales and they're aggregated and we can talk about exactly what they do. But I also looked at the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. And although there are many books in common or some books in common, there are also a number of different books that don't show up on the New York Times list at all. Do you have any idea how the Wall Street Journal puts together their bestseller list?
1: I don't. I remember USA Today's bestseller list. This was from my time at the New York Times where I was not involved with the putting together of the bestseller list, but knew about it. The USA Today was based on just actual sales. I mean, like aggregate sales, not weighted the way the New York Times does between various kinds of outlets and things like that. But I'm not sure how the Wall Street Journal does it. And what I'm always fascinated too, is the very great differences. And yet when you say something like about The Wall Street Journal, it doesn't seem to me to be politically influenced like, oh, no, this is the Murdoch no. newspaper and they're they're stacking the bestseller list, I would have asked you that very same question. So perhaps we're gonna have to have, all right, uh, we're gonna have to a do bit hom- about it.
0: Yeah, we're gonna have to do homework. So that's our assignment.
1: Okay, well good, let me uh, you know this brings up one question I was gonna ask you at a later, segment uh, about the bestsellers, my question to you was going to be, are there books, you know, can you name two or three books that have been such big sellers, whether recently or, you know, just in the recent past, currently or in the recent past, have been such big successes at RJ Julia that for some reason... Don't show up on the national bestseller list, and you're sort of frustrated or surprised, or they continue to sell at RJ Julia, but don't break through, even though you're reporting your sales to the New York Times.
0: Yeah. So I think part of that is I mean, we're one store, we're three stores, but only one store is a reporting store. So that happens when there's a book that we love. I can think of a book called Disclosure. <clears throat> that I loved and seemingly nobody else knew about it, but we sold uh, hundreds and... H- wait, it wasn't called... Disc- it, it was called Disclaimer. Hmm. And... Nobody else, but we sold hundreds of copies. Or there's local author, even though they're national. So Jacques Pepin has a book out called The Art of the Chicken, which is a glorious intersection between memoir, art book, and cookbook. He's a local author. We do a lot of events for him, and and plus we love him. So those tend to be the examples. They're staff suggestions And we try to nominate them for, you know, the indie list and try to get the word out. But sometimes it's not as uh, contagious as we'd like it to be. You know, and often driven by our staff suggestions. So the book I'll quickly mention that's on the bestseller list that I am reading after we do our assignments is (laughs) Unscriptable by James Stewart. James Stewart's a business uh, writer for the New York Times. And this, for anybody who watches Succession, this is more jaw-dropping than Succession. It's the story of Sumner Redstone and Viacom and CBS. And it is salacious, unbelievable, fascinating these are capitalists that are the real capitalists. These are these are <laughs> these are the guys who know how to manage power, as opposed to people like me who believe in economic engines. <laughs> but I hope it remains on the bestseller list. It's deserving to be read.
1: I want to read that. Uh, I, I have been It's a, worth reading, Bill. A fan of his since Den of Thieves, which is yeah. such uh I mean He explains the world to you, and it's also just riveting as writing, so.
0: Okay, what's coming out?
1: Uh, Well, it's coming out later in April, so a little bit beyond us at the moment, but it's called The Wager, A Tale of Shipwreck Mutiny and Murder, and it's by David Graham, who wrote Killers of the Flower Moon and The Lost City of Z, and who is just a fantastic uh, historical investigator. And this will take readers of those two books a little further back. It's set in the 18th century, and it's about mutiny on a British ship uh, in the 1740s. And it's also about uh, shipwreck, and it's also about survivors and who died. And his his recreation of the ship and the sailors and the, the shipwreck and the mutiny. I mean, it's just brilliant. And what he says at the beginning is that there are so many different accounts from so many different, you know, from a first group of survivors and then another group of survivors. So they all wash up in South America at, at different times. How multi-sided this story remains after almost 300 years makes just for riveting reading. And uh, I love David Grant's book. And I'm always so happy when you love someone's books and you can say the new book is not a disappointment. And uh, this was far from a disappointment. And just the wager is exciting and, and wonderful.
0: Fabulous. Did you ever read Ship of Gold?
1: Oh, yes. Oh,
0: my God. I loved that book. I get, you know, when it first came out, which I think must be almost 20 years ago, I gave it to everybody. And this is reminding me of that a little
1: bit. Well, I think, I mean, if you liked that book, I mean, then you, then you will love this book. I mean, it, it's, it's a very similar kind of story, but obviously also completely different. What's also marvelous is it's, as I think his fans will know, I mean, he's marvelously detailed, but the detail never drags you down. It mm-hmm. only speeds you along because he just has sort of a sure touch sentence by sentence for the overall narrative and also the pinpoint detail. Like they're never at war with each other in David Grant's books.
0: So talk about not wanting to be disappointed in a <laughs> second book. Abraham Vergesi has a book coming out, a 700-page book called The Covenant of Water. And I, like gazillions of others, adored cutting for stone, adored great... it, just adored it. And so I started the Covenant of Water. It is multi-generational, set in India in, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to say this right, but set in the uh, Catholic part of the seacoast town of Kerala. Do you know mm-hmm. if I'm saying that right?
1: I, I don't know. You know, it's one of the things that I regret about doing my TV segment. And this is when I used to write reviews, you never had to pronounce anything. Uh,
0: (laughs) Our ignorance then shows up.
1: The hazards of of radio and television and podcasting. Uh, So the same
0: beautiful writing that's very evocative that was in place in cutting for stone exists in the covenant of water. So far, I'm finding it a little bit slower to enter, but... I can't imagine it's not going to capture my attention because I just think he's an extraordinary writer.
1: I have also wanted to read that and have not so much hesitated, but and I know, I think it's coming out in May. And so I felt I had a little more time. I, I loved Cutting for oh, Stone. I
0: loved it. I loved it. I, it is coming out in early May.
1: Okay. So I have a a little time. We'll check back in.
0: Yeah, check back in. So just a reminder to our listeners uh, that the books are in the show notes. If you want us to email you a list, you can write to us at podcast at rjjoya.com. You can use that email to uh, give us any suggestions or tell tell us if you like this or you want us to do something different or whatever. I mean, th- right now we're in our iterative learning process. As Bill said at the beginning, we're doing, this is our third show. So we're not exactly poured in concrete yet in terms of a format. Bill, I want to thank you. And to our listeners, you've been listening to Just the Right Book Shorts. And then in between, we do longer interviews with nonfiction writers. And I hope you all have a great day. And thank you so much for listening to Just the Right Book. You are listening to Just the Right Book with Roxanne Cody, brought to you by Lit Hub Radio. The show is produced by Roxanne Cody, Michael Selick, and Lit Hub Radio. Our editor is Gino Cardone at Pleasant Podcast. The original theme music is by Kurt Feldman. You can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcast. I am Roxanne Cody. Thank you so much for listening. And if you have any comments, observations, suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. You can email me at justtherightbook at rjjulia.com.